The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with the tech tumble. Stocks, those are trying to rebound after Thursday's tech tumble. Then we go to soaring yields, keeping growth stocks in check despite assurances from Fed Chair Jay Powell. The 10-year coming off a 14-month high. Then we turn to Earnings Central. Nike and FedEx heading in opposite directions as they show two sides of the same pandemic coin. Then tensions flare in Alaska after the first face-to-face meeting between the U.S. and China during the Biden administration, a developing story this morning. And crude coming off its worst day in months as demand fears rear their ugly head. It is Friday, March 19th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. We begin this Friday morning with stock futures after a whopper of a trading session on Thursday. Let's take a look at this hour. Stock futures actually up. Important to note, the Nasdaq is actually leading the futures, indicating it's going to open up perhaps a half a percent higher. Now, stocks are trying to rebound after the S&P, the Nasdaq and the Russell 2000. They all saw their worst day since February 25th. The Nasdaq really getting hit the hardest, snapping a three day win streak and set to end this week down more than one and a half percent. Apple, Amazon and Netflix all falling more than three percent. Zoom down six percent. Tesla down just about seven percent on the day. The move lower in tech, it comes on the heels for after a surge in Treasury yields. The 10 year hitting its highest level in 14 months, then kind of taking a step back. The 30-year yield hitting highs not seen since August 2019. Right now, we're looking at the yields. The 10-year at 1.687, below that 1.7 level that we saw yesterday. The 30-year at 2.417. Also watching oil after a very rocky day for energy. Crude sliding some 7% yesterday for its worst day since September. Crude sitting right now, well, we're watching it right here at 60 bucks a barrel, almost 61 a barrel, up this morning after yesterday's big tumble. Two stocks we're watching for you this morning as well. Shares of FedEx popping after reporting better than expected results after an unprecedented peak holiday shipping season. Top-ranked transport analyst Ken Hoekster is coming up with much more on that quarter. And then Nike, just under a lot of pressure this morning after a very mixed quarter. Sales coming in below estimates and outlook a bit disappointing. The company blaming an inventory backlog at U.S. ports on weak North American numbers. Around the world, we're going to turn our attention to the global markets. We're seeing those red arrows in Asia overnight after some big news from Japan. Matt Taylor is standing by in Singapore and Jumana Bersetchi. She's in our London newsroom where trading there is just getting started. Matt, we're going to kick things off with you. Hi there, Frank. Yeah, it was a sharply weaker session for markets. 
across Asia. Investors here also spooked by those uh, rising Treasury yields as well. Markets are down in the order of around about 1% across the board. A number of those markets that are heavily linked to tech down sharply given that 3% sell down that we saw in the Nasdaq. But Japan was really interesting. We did see the Nikkei 225 extending declines after we got the decision out from the Bank of Japan down by about 1.4%. But the broader topics index ending up at a 30-year high. Now, this was because uh, the Bank of Japan said uh, that it would only buy ETFs as part of its ETF buying program uh, linked to the topics index. And we saw a number of stocks listed in the Nikkei falling on that news. It also dropped its plans for annual targets uh, for its ETF purchases. Those sat at 6 trillion yen per year. And it also widened the range for its 10-year JGB. Uh, Currently, that was at zero, but it's now saying it's going to let it fluctuate between negative 0.25% and positive 0.25%. The greater China markets were really the weak spot across Asia today, down by about 1.5%. Tech again leading Hong Kong and Shanghai lower. Also, that frosty reception that we saw between those talks uh, between U.S. and Chinese diplomats in Alaska really also denting sentiment when it came to those wanting to buy into the China markets today. Frank, back to you. All right. We really appreciate it, Matt. Now we're going to turn our attention to the early trade in Europe. Germana Bersetti, she's standing by in our London newsroom. Hey, Germana. Hey, Frank. Well, it is another negative session for Europe as well after the week handover from both Asia and Wall Street. I should mention the stock 600 is poised to end the week flat, though. But this is the picture today. All of the majors trading in negative territory. FTSE 100 in the UK down about six-tenths of a percentage point. You mentioned oil a while back. A lot of the oil majors are based in the UK, so they are underperforming it right at the bottom of the index this morning. Zetra DAX down about four-tenths of a percentage point. I do want to point out that for the week, though, the DAX is poised to end up 1%. It was a stellar week for some of the automakers. Volkswagen alone up 15% this week. So that's been boosting some of the, uh, the DAX performance this week. Cacarante also in focus in France, down about seven-tenths of a percentage point. But let me tell you a little bit more detail about what's been going on there. Because yesterday, the Prime Minister announced that the a greater Paris region will be entering into a lockdown. The government had been resisting going down this route, but they made the announcement yesterday. It will start as of midnight tonight. And it's going to affect about 20 million people, basically all non-essential stores will be closed and it is having an impact on some of the French blue chips. So let's just turn to that so you can see you've got some of the luxury stocks down about a tenth of a percentage point. The banks also coming under pressure. So uh, that is the mood for European indices today. Frank. Anna, thank you for that. Not surprising to see the CAC down the most with that uh, Paris news. Thank you again. Sticking with the sell-off in big tech, our own Jim Cramer with some choice words last night for investors who are deciding to liquidate their positions in growth. Wall Street freaked out last year when Powell cut rates aggressively. And they're freaking out again now that he's decided to keep rates too, to them too low. All right, you know what I think's going to happen? Listen, Wall Street, he's going to go two for two. And the sellers who feel smug selling their tech growth stocks right now, they're going to go 0 for 2 and get steamrolled. Good riddance. All right, Jim Cramer, those choice words right there. Joining me now is Dan Veru, co-chairman and chief investment officer at Palisade Capital Management. Dan, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Frank. So I don't think that was Jimmy Chill. I think that was just regular Jim Cramer. <laughs> do you agree or do you disagree? 
It's important to have balance in a portfolio. It's important to note a couple things. We're at the beginning of a profit cycle recovery in our economy. And that really bodes very well for corporate earnings. The reason why tech is underperforming more recently is it's been the defensive growth play so far. The times now not to abandon technology entirely, but to have the proper balance in a portfolio of cyclical types of companies that will recover. And we're starting to see that migration already. Look at the numbers that came out of Federal Express. The economy is recovering, and it's recovering at a rapid rate, and the profits growth are going to be very, very strong as we go through the cycle. So speaking of that recovery play, a lot of people see the Russell 2000 as the recovery index and the best way to play the reopening. Um, You also agree with that. But then you also say a 10 percent correction. It could just come at any time. It could be just down the pike. It could be tomorrow, (laughs) next week. We don't even know what it is. So with that in mind, with that correction potentially down the road, what kind of stocks in the Russell do you see able to weather that storm? Well, I think the ultimate, the, as, as you and I discussed in the fall, and I've discussed with Brian many times, you know, the Russell 2000 benchmark is the reopening of the U.S. economy benchmark. The ultimate way to pay, play that reopening is through financials, namely banks, because their underlying collateral gets better. And as the Federal Reserve has kept the yield curve in a steepening position, uh, the prospects for profit growth are really good there. But also with that are industrials and materials and, of course, the consumer stocks as well. Those are all going to benefit tremendously. I think we're entering a profit cycle that's going to be extremely impressive. And it's important to note that we're at the beginning of that profit cycle, not the end. Along the way, a correction can happen, like I had said, at any time and for any reason. But I think they'll be very short-lived. And you'll learn a lot about where money is flowing into in those pullbacks. All right, Dan Baru, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. All right, let's get to some of today's other top stories. Connecticut is easing its COVID restrictions today. The state is lifting capacity limits on restaurants, offices, and other businesses like retail stores and houses of worship. The face covering mandate is still in place all across the state. This comes as the first case of the P1 variant was found in New Haven, Connecticut, just yesterday. Apple CEO Tim Cook is expressing praise for the American Dream and Promise Act that was passed by the House last night. Cook issued a statement on behalf of the Business Roundtable and tweeted that Apple employs over 450 dreamers. If passed by the Senate, the act would create a pathway to citizenship for millions of dreamers. And Facebook is reportedly building a version of Instagram designed for kids under the age of 13. Currently, Instagram policy says that users have to be over the age of 13 In an internal post, Facebook said that in addition to creating an app for younger users, Instagram is also looking to up security and privacy restrictions for teens. This development will come after the launch of Messenger for Kids in 2017, which did face some backlash from children's health advocacy groups. All right. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, anxiety in Anchorage. Tensions rising after the first face-to-face meeting between the U.S. and China of this administration. Reaction from Beijing next. Plus, the bull case for Nike after a pretty, like, kind of a bit of a weak showing. Piper Sandler's Aaron Murphy is coming up. And later, the path forward for gyms. The states look to roll back restrictions. The CEO of Retro Fitness is here. A very busy hour is still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. 
At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The first high-level U.S.-China talks of the Biden administration getting off to a fiery start yesterday with sharp rhetoric from both sides. A four-minute photo op turning into a one-hour and 15-minute event our own Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing. Eunice, a very rare public display of the tension yesterday. Absolutely. Very, very unusual to be so public. And I think really um, indicates the extent of the rift between the two countries. So the talks, as we know, were meant to reframe what's been a very tense relationship. But then the cordial pleasantries quickly turned into a heated exchange in front of the cameras. So from China's perspective, Secretary of State Antony Blinken's opening remarks were just too much. Uh, They were, uh, from the Chinese perspective, very condescending. Uh, He had criticized China's policies towards Hong Kong and other sensitive issues. And that really, from Beijing's perspective, again, forced China's top diplomat, Yang Jiechi, to respond and fire back a lengthy quarter of an hour long screed about the U.S.'s own policies um, and saying that the U.S. has no right to lecture and doesn't speak for international opinion. Now, later, a U.S. official had said that the Chinese were really grandstanding for the public back home. And what's interesting today is that back home here in China, the talks were the number one trending topic on social media with over a billion views. So uh, the uh, Chinese have been joking on social media that the U.S.-China talks are must-see TV. And again, the way that the state media has been reframing, has been framing it, um, if I could just pull up some of the um, the uh, posters that uh, the state media has been uh, circulating online, essentially the main point is that they feel the U.S. isn't qualified to speak to China in this manner. Uh, they're saying that this is about mutual respect, that China has grown, uh, that China has to be spoken as an equal partner. So um, I think that was also reflected, reflected Frank, in the, the foreign ministry response today, because the foreign ministry had said that uh, there was a lot of confrontation at the talks in Alaska, but that is not what Beijing was aspiring for. So in other words, China really trying to portray itself as a victim and as the more, more uh, the adult in the room when it comes to the relationship with the United States. Yesterday, that tension seems to be carrying over from the Trump administration into the Biden administration. Was there some strategy here at play by the, by the Biden administration coming out so aggressively? 
Um, it's, I mean, I was actually wondering if there was a, a, an attempt and a strategy from the Chinese perspective to come out so aggressively, because it is quite unusual for the Chinese to go um, to go um, unscripted the way that uh, uh, Yang did. But I think what's also going to be interesting to watch is how the conversation proceeds today. So today, it's uh, they're going to, just in a couple of hours, they're going to be kickstarting their third session of the discussions. They're all going to be wrapped up today, um, on Friday in the United States. And, and uh, um, from what we understand, once the um, all the heat was let out, uh, that uh, the behind closed doors, the conversations were much more civil. Um, and from um, what we heard from the U.S. side, uh, they were saying that uh, the two sides kind of got down to business and then uh, um, were very direct in their um, conversations. So, so it might be a little bit premature to think that this rocky start uh, could mean that the rest of the relationship would be rocky. Yeah, sometimes first impressions don't carry on forever. Uh, Yunus Yun, live in Beijing. We really appreciate it. Thank you, as always. All right, still on deck. As good as it gets for FedEx? Maybe not. Bank of America upping its price target on the stock this morning after a stellar quarter. We get into, we get into it with the firm's analyst. That's coming up next. Today's big number, $13.8 billion. That's how much the March Madness Tournament could cost employers in lost work hours this year, according to estimates by Challenger, Gray, and Christmas. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Among the hardest hit industries by the COVID-19 pandemic has been the fitness industry. But with New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy's order of gyms expanding to 50 percent capacity going to effect today, many gym owners are hoping this is the next step towards going back to normal. Joining me now is the CEO of Retro Fitness, Andrew Alfano. Andrew, good morning. Thank you for being here. Morning, Frank. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, I've actually been to one of your gyms on several occasions. Very familiar with your product. So I'm curious, uh, you generally have a bigger gym. It's not like a small urban gym. You generally have a lot of space, a lot of equipment. What changes are you making to make people feel more comfortable coming back and, of course, to also comply with regulations? Yeah, great. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, Retro Fitness is a uh, 100% franchised organization, first and foremost. So important to note that every one of our clubs is owned and operated by a small business owner. We have 120 clubs open or in development in 12 different states. So we have some really great supportive data. And you know better than anybody that in every state, restrictions have changed. So in some instances, we've been open since last May in the state of Florida, where they recognized health is essential. And then the last states to join the party were New York, New Jersey. And we were very happy to hear about the 50 percent opening uh, from Governor Murphy. We actually have a very good relationship with the state. So uh, we had heard about that. We weren't uh, caught by surprise. Uh, But what we have done with the states and with other fitness industry leaders is we have cooperated extensively. And actually, many of the regulations that have been implemented have been regulations that we have helped provide. And very different in the fitness industry compared to some of the others, i.e. restaurants, bars, if you will. 
And for some reason, we've been lumped in with those categories. I'm, I'm not sure that you can actually uh, compare a health club with helping people get healthy and um, bars, but we have. And what we've done is all the social distancing, all the sanitation. But if you've been to one of our health clubs and you've been to the gym, you'll know that sanitation stations have been prevalent for a very long time. When you get off of the equipment, you're wiping it down. When you get back on equipment, first thing you're doing is probably wiping it down. So many of the sanitation practices in the fitness industry, specifically at Retro Fitness, has been in place for a very long time. And what I will tell you, our data going back through the beginning of the pandemic, and important to note, the federal government put health clubs and gyms in phase one for reopening, recognizing it as an essential business. But we have great data. People want to get back to the gym. People want to get healthy. And following a global pandemic where the average weight gain has been 15 pounds, we need to get healthy. Yeah, Andrew, you're thinking about it, bury the lead. I hear a lot of people call it the COVID-19, kind of like the freshman 15 when you go to college. So we're just showing some video of your clubs. You see you're taping off uh, equipment, doing some outdoor classes, some other innovation there. But I have to ask you, how are you combating those home fitness trends, people buying Pelotons and mirrors? Your gym is a kind of a eh, back-to-basics gym, let's be honest. You compete with uh, a Planet Fitness. You don't have a lot of amenities like pools and saunas and jacuzzis. What are you doing to bring people back who may have bought Pelotons or bought home exercise equipment? Sure. Great question. Well, we actually do. We, we do compete on a much broader scale. Retro fitness is very different than some of the uh, businesses that you just mentioned. We look at this holistically as we take the fitness journey with you. And we have an entire a brand halo that includes healthy cooking, nutrition. We have a strong focus on mental health. We are far more than just the brick and mortar. And as it relates to the at-home solution that you mentioned, uh, we, in fact, are going to be announcing something very similar because we recognize that there is interest in that. But if you follow the stock of Peloton and if you follow the stock of some of the brick-and-mortar health clubs that are out there, brick-and-mortar health clubs' uh, stock is going up and the Peloton stock is going down. So at the end of the day, especially after people have been quarantined for a year, people need people. That is not going to go away. People need community. And at Retro Fitness, we built this organization being the hometown gym in every town we went into. We build a community within the four walls of our clubs. And more importantly, we're a fabric of the community outside of the four walls of the clubs. Again, every one of these businesses is a is a, a small business owner. And, and with that, we have to get these small business owners financial relief. I totally so agree we, with you, Andrew, but I got to ask you one question before we let you go. What is your policy on vaccinations? Are you going to mandate that your employees get vaccinations or will you ask your customers to show proof of their vaccinations? Sure. Well, obviously, we're, we're very supportive of the vaccine. There's a lot of great documentation out there. Uh, I don't know if that's our position to advocate on, on public vaccination. But I will tell you that being fit and healthy is the best vaccine you could ever have. Exercise is medicine. And for those that are waiting for the vaccine, um, and I'll say it this way, you know, if you're fit and healthy and you got the virus, chances are they're going to send you home. You know, so one of the things we have to do with the country, which is 71.6% of the country is overweight or obese. Right. We, we can't go to 80, we can't go to 90. And we know going back to the beginning of the interview, uh, the average person, the average weight gain has been 15 pounds. All right, and, and, Andrew, we got to let you go. But really quick, just a yes or no. Will you mandate your employees get vaccinations? Will you ask your customers to show proof of vaccination? We're very supportive of the vaccine. All right, Andrew, Andrew Alfano from Retro Fitness. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
Straight ahead, getting cash for being COVID safe, what some bars, universities, and companies are doing to boost the vaccination effort. Plus, if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, just go ahead and do it. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And March is Women's History Month, and we're spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors. Here's Gilman Hill Asset Management CEO Jenny Harrington with some advice for the next generation. The career advice I'd give to women is to take risk early, stretch and lead, and see what it feels like to succeed and see what it feels like to fail. And do that at a time when your failures don't matter, when they're just learning experiences. And get used to sitting in the front row and raising your hand. And if your question doesn't get answered, keep your hand up. Whiplash on Wall Street stocks trying to bounce back after yesterday's tech tumble. Earnings Central, Nike and FedEx moving in opposite directions after two widely different Q3 reports. What you need to know for the trading day coming up next. And a crude crush, oil coming off its worst day in months as demand fears they spook the street. It's Friday, March 19th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Here how, here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stocks in the green this morning. You can see right here the NASDAQ. It appears that it's going to have an uh, open of about a half a percent or higher when the, at the opening bell. Uh, remember, stocks are coming off a more than uh, a down day. The Dow coming off a more than 400-point loss. And bonds, they continue to be the big story for tech. Let's take a look at the bond yields. The 10-year at 1.686, below that 1.7 level that we saw yesterday, and the 30-year at 2.418. We're also watching oil after a bit of a rocky day for energy, crude sliding some 7% yesterday for its worst day since, since September. Crude now right now sitting at almost $61 a barrel up this morning. Now to today's other top stories. The U.S. will send millions of vaccine doses to Mexico and Canada. Tens of millions of doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine have been sitting in American manufacturing sites as it has not yet been approved for use here in the U.S. This comes as some European countries are resuming use of the AstraZeneca vaccine after the European Medicines Agency concluded it was safe. And the NFL finalizing a new 11-year media rights deal that could be worth over $100 billion. The league announcing it's renewing all TV rights with its existing broadcasters and that Amazon Prime Video will be the exclusive partner for Thursday Night Football. It's the first time that a streaming service will exclusively carry a full package of games. And Mark Zuckerberg says Facebook may actually be in a stronger position after Apple's privacy changes. The two tech giants have been in a war of words over upcoming Apple privacy updates that will make it easier for iOS users to block companies like Facebook from tracking their activity to target advertising. In a clubhouse room yesterday afternoon, Zuckerberg argued his company might make out better if more businesses decide to sell goods directly through Facebook and Instagram. All right, turning our attention to earnings. FedEx reporting better than expected results in its most recent quarter after what the CFO called an unprecedented holiday peak shipping season. CEO Fred Smith adding the company expects demand for its e-commerce and international express solutions to remain very high for the foreseeable future. Joining me now is Bank of America Securities research analyst Ken Huckster. Ken, good morning and thanks for joining us.
Ken, uh, I got to ask you. So we're seeing FedEx shares up this morning after a really great quarter, but it was still a difficult quarter. FedEx faced a number of challenges, including an unprecedented holiday peak, shipping the vaccines and also some severe winter weather at the end of the quarter. Can they possibly top this performance going forward? Yeah, no, this is uh, the key thing that, that FedEx talked about is not only the, as you mentioned, the demand continuing, uh, but but going forward. So, uh, you know, after this huge spike up post-COVID, which we saw uh, such a huge uh, increase in e-commerce demand. But now as we look forward, you're going to have the return as, as the vaccine uh, gets distributed. You're going to have the return of B2B demand uh, as e-commerce begins to decelerate. It won't go negative, which was a key comment from uh, the company yesterday that it won't flip negative as everybody returns to work. Yet they, they believe that they're going to see the, the obviously the B2B uh, growth, the business to business growth uh, return, which is a, a huge increase for, for profitable potential. So FedEx was able to expand margins both on its ground business that handles the majority of residential e-commerce and on its express business. Um, that was largely due to those holiday uh, uh, shipping surcharges they put on big retailers. As the economy begins to normalize and perhaps people don't buy as much online, can they continue to see that margin expansion? Yeah, you know, it's great. They've been so focused going back almost two years now on pricing, which was a weak point for the air freight carriers, FedEx and UPS, is that they seem to be competing against each other to get volume. Well, right now, what you've seen over the last few years is, has been volume has not been the issue, given the growth of e-commerce uh, and the shift uh, away from, from normal business activity. And given that demand, their networks were pulled forward about three years worth of demand. So you've got a full network. So now they are very focused on pricing. Obviously, in a peak crunch period, they were able to add on additional few, uh, uh, surcharges for, for COVID. Uh, some of those have continued on, the, on some international lanes. Uh, certain residential lanes have continued. Uh, but yet pricing came in on, on ground double what we were looking for, up over 11 percent. So really seeing that strength and focus that they've got on pricing uh, after years of, of focusing on getting volume. And that's doing a great job for the margins, as you mentioned, which, which really uh, led the quarter. And I think that was the upside surprise that you're going to see for the stock today. Uh, with ground margins up over 8.8%. That was well above target. All right, before we let you go, Ken, uh, you have a price target of 351 for FedEx. That's a 33% increase over the closing price yesterday. What do you see as being the catalyst? I think a lot of us think that the economy is going to reopen and a lot of people are going to go back to brick-and-mortar stores and perhaps not buy as much online. Well, I, I think you might decelerate your purchasing, but I, I think what you've seen is, is the shift to e-commerce has really uh, changed the, the way that we order. And I think that continues going forward. And then, as you mentioned, people are going to start going back to, to work. You're going to start seeing that B2B activity pick up. Uh, you've got this great strength. International activity was up 41 percent year over year. So obviously, without the belly space, you're going to see that continue maybe for another 18 to 24 months until the belly space on international lanes uh, returns. But that gives you a good runway. And so we did actually decrease our multiple on our forward earnings. But that increased the price target because you've got such near-term strength on pricing and volumes that it looks really good for FedEx stock right now. One last quick, quick question, Ken. Um, FedEx actually raised its CapEx guidance to increase its ground capacity. In your mind, was that a good move? Do you think the street's going to receive that well? I, I think that's always been an issue for FedEx is, is investors really want to see the, the cash flow come through. What you're doing, though, is you're keeping uh, CapEx to revenues below 7%, uh, which is a record low for, for FedEx since we've been following over the last two decades. So you, you actually do have, because the top line is growing so fast, ground volumes were up over 20%. They've got to accommodate that with some more facilities on the ground side. Uh, they did accelerate some aircraft repurchasing or purchases and, and delayed some retirements. So that's the, 
the, the move to, to increase it a little bit uh, to $5.7 billion this year on CapEx, but still generating increasing free cash flow, which is what investors are really focused on, given the very, very strong results. Ken Huckster, great stuff as always. Thank you for being here. Thanks, All right, Frank. switching gears to a less than stellar report. Shares of Nike under pressure, Q3 sales falling short of estimates, largely blame on U.S. port congestion and global container shortages. Nike says the delays are creating an inventory backup of more than three weeks. One bright spot, China. Revenues there soaring more than 50 percent year on year. Joining me now with her take, Piper Sandler senior research analyst Aaron Murphy. Aaron, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So obviously China recovered from the pandemic, uh, has recovered from the pandemic sooner than we have. Um, they also experienced it sooner than we did. Um, but that container shortage that Nike referenced, that doesn't seem to be ending any time in the near term. How optimistic are you that a recovery and a reopening will actually increase those North American sales that a lot of people are concerned about? Sure. It's a fair question. I mean, clearly the port uh, struggles have been kind of ongoing and, you know, Nike was not immune from them. But I think the important thing for us is this is near term and temporal in nature. As vaccines roll out, as the social distancing post-vaccine can kind of come a little bit closer together, we do think some of the port challenges will improve. Furthermore, having talked to Nike last night, it does sound that some of the container challenges, they've been able to kind of lean into their relationships and really leverage some opportunity to see some of that improve. So they're not seeing as much constraint currently with that container piece of this shortage. So as we look forward into the fourth quarter, which is their May quarter, you know, revenue should be up 75%. So everything that was lost in the third quarter should come back. Inventory is flowing currently. And candidly, the brand has really never been, you know, as hot as it is. So we do think this is temporal in nature and and buying the dip this morning. Yeah, and right now we're showing a graphic with uh, some other major retailers talking about their supply chain issues. I know you also cover some other retailers. So I have to ask you, with stimulus checks coming, Is everybody buying Jordans, dry fit pants and chucks or does that money go to some other retailers? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, using Jordan as an example, that brand is very hot right now, very relevant. We don't see that going away. We think it's well positioned for stimulus checks. Other brands that we cover we think are pretty well positioned would be brands like Elf that's in the cosmetic space, more value oriented, Under Armour as well. So I think and even some of the handbag names. So stimulus this year is going to look better than it was last last year with fourteen hundred dollar checks going into the pockets of both adults and and children as well. So, you know, this is going to be, I think, a pretty robust opportunity for many of uh, the names in our coverage to um, see a little bit of a tailwind as we move forward into the spring and into the early summer. So a bit of a personal question here, Aaron. Um, I'm actually a big Nike fan. I wear their sneakers. I wear a lot of their clothes. I was on their website a couple weeks ago buying some workout clothes. A lot of sizes were out. But at the same time, there weren't any discounts. I barely saw any discounts on the website. I'm a big fan of their direct-to-consumer business. Does Nike need to get a bit more promotional? Or do they also need to kind of maybe innovate? Because the other thing I didn't see was a lot of different colorways and variations on the the stuff for the workout clothes that I kind of feel like I saw in years past. Got it. Well, first of all, I love that you do your own research and obviously your own shopping. So that's great. Um, look, I think the lack of promotions and, you know, is actually a really positive thing. So the industry right now is clearly clean from inventory. 
Some of that was just how lean inventory was going into the fall season. And some of that is candidly some of these shipping delays that are kind of pulling inventory a little bit later into the season. That being said, I think it's an incredible position for Nike to be in that they aren't having to promote. It speaks to the health of the brand. One of the interesting tidbits from the quarter, ASP, so their average selling price, was up double digits in the quarter. Their full price uh, business was higher than it's been historically, and gross margins were up 130 basis points. So actually, to me, that shows the power of the brand and the power of the shift towards digital, which is their best margin channel. So I think from an innovation perspective, just to um, you know, layer on your kind of second um, kind of maybe comment or concern, I think as we move forward towards um, the Tokyo Olympics, which as of now we're still hearing is happening in some way, shape, or form, there will be more innovation to come. So Stay tuned on that front, but they're doing a lot on the footwear, a lot around carbon neutrality or zero waste footwear. And so I think you'll see some some new things coming. All right. Aaron Murphy, we appreciate the insight. I'm a little disappointed. I wanted those Jordans on sale. All right. Coming up. (laughs) Could $75 convince a hesitant worker to get a COVID-19 vaccine? How about giving college kids cash to not go on spring break? We'll show you the new ways that institutions, large and small, are offering incentives to encourage people to be COVID safe. That story when Worldwide Exchange returns. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I think it's safe to say everyone wants the COVID-19 pandemic to end. But how do we make it happen? Alon Moy joins us with the story of cold, hard cash and how some businesses are ready to pay up for people to be COVID safe. Good morning, Alon. Can't wait to hear about this one. Well, good morning, Frank. Well, one of the things that businesses are doing is to make getting a vaccine just a no-brainer for their workers and even for their customers. And here on CNBC, we do know that one of the best ways to convince people to do something is to pay them for it. Now, according to a recent poll by the Society for Human Resource Management, 24 percent of workers who were on the fence about getting the vaccine said that they would consider changing their mind if they got some money in return. Now, at Love's Travel Stops, all 30,000 employees can get a $75 bonus if they get the shot. The company's even hosting a vaccination clinic today at its headquarters in Oklahoma. We didn't want any of our employees to have any disincentive to, to go and get the vaccine, because in some cases they may have to wait in line for a while. So we wanted to make sure that uh, we compensated them and, and provided incentive for them to do that. Now, Kroger, Petco, Dollar General, those are just a few of the other companies that are willing to pay up if you roll up. And then there is Village Tap. It's a neighborhood bar and beer garden in Chicago. They're offering their customers a $10 gift certificate if they show that they've been vaccinated. Now, owner Jeff Hoffman said that business dropped 45 percent during the worst days of the pandemic. It's still down about 15 percent, so there's not a lot of cash to go around. But he said that he considers this offer an investment in the future. That's where kind of the impetus for my promo came up was just like, how do we promote this as an industry to get people to start having that conversation? uh, Because the vaccine is really what's going to help us out of this. Now, Frank, he originally wanted to call this program Shots for Shots and give away free liquor. But 
Local laws prevented that. But I don't know, Frank, I feel like that would motivate me to get my vaccine <laughs> if I could get a free drink at the bar. <laughs> Alon, I'll definitely buy you a drink, but one thing, I don't know if I'd go outside for $10 in Chicago in March. It's still cold there. Uh, it's still cold. But on a serious they, note. They have, they have a tent. They have a heated tent. <laughs> uh, still cold there. Um, but on a serious note, we were just talking to uh, the CEO of uh, a fitness company. He wouldn't answer whether or not he'd make it mandatory for his employees to get vaccinated. I think there's a big question a lot of us want to know. Is it actually legal for companies to offer this incentive? Yeah, it's still a gray area, Frank. A lot of companies are worried that if they offer an incentive that is too big, they could actually be seen as trying to coerce their employees into taking an action uh, that they may not be legally required to do. So a lot of companies, as well as the Society for Human Resource Management, they've written to the EEOC um, to try to get some clarity on this because, you know, that could be a disincentive for companies to offer an incentive they're just trying to get their workers to stay as healthy as possible and put an end to this pandemic. And they don't want to run afoul of the law as they're doing that. Well, Alana, I don't know if you're going to get the shot or not, but drinks on me next time you're up here in the New York area. I'll take you up on that, Frank. <laughs> Alana Moy, thanks for that reporting. We appreciate it. On deck here on Worldwide Exchange, tech stocks have been coming under pressure amid rising interest rates. But is the selling justified? Investor Kerry Firestone will weigh in next. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, if you miss Worldwide Exchange, you miss Big Papa Brian Sullivan, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps, and we will be right back. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on some of the big stock movers today. We're going to begin with him and hers shares down seven and a half percent, despite the company reporting better than expected fourth quarter results. The telehealth startup that sells products primarily to millennials posting a smaller adjusted loss as revenue surged nearly 70 percent. Hims and hers went public in January through a SPAC deal. Sarepta Therapeutics says data from a small trial shows positive results for its experimental gene therapy for a rare form of muscular dystrophy. The company says patients demonstrated significant improvement in their functional outcomes after two years of treatment. Shares up more than five and a half percent this morning. And Chubb has confirmed it's made a preliminary offer to buy rival Hartford Financial. Hartford had been halted during the session yesterday in reports of a bid. Chubb says the offer values Hartford at $65 a share in stock and cash. That's about 12 percent above where the stock opened yesterday. All right, turning our attention back to the broader markets, Carrie Firestone is chairman and CEO of Arias Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Carrie, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks, Frank. So let's, let's just talk about it. Um, you're saying that the, the markets, they're kind of all over the place, the Dow, the NASDAQ, the S&P going in different directions on different days. But there seems to be one consensus that the cyclical trade is where it's at. So does that cyclical trade have more room to run? Well, the cyclical trade has been going since September. If you look at charts of the market, it was September 2nd that many of the tech names peaked and we started to have enthusiasm about vaccines and reopening. And that's when energy, financials, industrials, hotels, casinos, airlines started to move. And that move has accelerated. So we've moved into this year with big gains in the cyclicals flat or no gains in the large tech and really a collapse of many of the hot names of 2020 that were new issues, Airbnb, DoorDash, Snowflake, CrowdStrike, 
um, trade desk, Zoom, Teladoc, because those stocks were very overvalued. And then there are growth stocks in the middle and value stocks in the middle that that have moved up as the market has. But as you said, it's a tale of three cities, very different kinds of markets. The question is whether the cyclicals keep going and the tech go down. And we would say right now the market multiple, the price to earnings ratio of almost all groups at the market, all sectors are about the same. Industrials sell for about the same multiple as the tech names such as Facebook, Apple, Microsoft. They are not as expensive as they were last year because they paused or gone down now for six months. And we think there's value in some of those large technology names. The cyclicals and values have moved so much so fast. They might need to take a pause. The whole market can go up this year because that's what usually happens in recovery years and strong GDP years. But there could be a rest to the cyclicals for the time being. Tech names you're just talking about, the Facebooks, the Amazons, um, they've definitely been hit hard by these rising bond yields. Can the markets continue to go up if tech's not along for the ride? That's a very good question. Technology plus communication services and Amazon, just that stock, those, those three categories are over 40% of the S&P. And for the market to move higher, you really need participation in them. If the market goes down, of course, they can all participate on the downside. But we think that for the market to go higher, you would have inclusion in those larger tech names. And they are earning enough to justify that. If you think about what people will use their stimulus checks for, they're going to pay rent. They're going to buy food. They're going to go on vacation. They can take a trip. They're also going to buy an iPhone and they're going to pay for it with Venmo. So Apple and PayPal are going to benefit just the same as American Airlines and Hilton Hotels. And so, so yes, they will participate if the market moves higher. And as, and as we've looked at, 11 out of the 12 times over the past 50 years where GDP has been up 4% or we've come out of a recession, you've seen the market go higher, the S&P 500 go higher. The only exception was 2000 when we had the dot-com bubble burst and there was a recession following that, not preceding it. So it's likely that the market moves higher and, and all stocks generally participate if that's the case. So, Kerry, oil prices, they're steadying today after tumbling 7% yesterday, the worst day for WTI in six months, rising COVID cases in Europe, Brazil, and, and India, dampening hopes for a quicker global recovery in fuel demand. Oil has doubled since November, though. Is this a demand issue or just a short correction in your mind? Well, oil prices has, have gone up, you know, just skyrocketed over the last few months because of reopening. Remember, you couldn't sell a barrel of oil, you know, nine months ago. They were, they were giving the oil away. The futures were negative, uh, effectively. So to be over $60 a barrel is really much better than I suspect the producers had thought they would see for a few years. You know, I think it's reasonable to expect after the sharp uh, rise that we would have some decline, some air pockets. So I, I don't see for the industry that this is a problem. COVID cases rising, of course, that means less driving, less flying, et cetera. And that's bad for energy. But this, this sector should be very happy with how they performed over the last few months. All right, Carrie, we're almost out of time. Can you give us a few stocks that you're, you're kind of looking at or you own that kind of balances recovery and the fact that we're still working from home in most states? 
Yeah, exactly. So on on the recovery reopening side, we bought American Express. Of course, they benefit from travel and also interest rates going up. Charles Schwab, you know, it's a bank, so they get the benefit of interest rates. People spending money, people trading accounts, of course. And booking holdings, because booking is where people book their trips and hotel reservations. We think that's a good play. SL Green real estate play in Manhattan. On the other side, we own Facebook, we own PayPal, we own Visa again. And and how about buying Apple? We think that's an attractive stock right here. You said people were buying iPhones. Carrie Firestone, thanks for waking up with us. We appreciate it. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.